If your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 2, in the most famous chapter in the Bible, I think it's the 23rd Psalm, David made the statement, he said, my cup runneth over. And this morning as I stand before you, I understand that feeling. I was told when I was a student in Bible college that we're to study the Bible and be so filled with the Bible that we preach from the overflow. And I'm overflowing today. I don't know if you're going to catch it or not. Uh, I, I'm looking at my, my outline thinking, boy, I've, I've bitten off a big chunk today. But uh, God's put a theme together this morning. It started in the Sunday school hour when Brother Reamer stood up and we didn't have a piano. He said, let's sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Had no idea what I was about to preach today. And Brother Rob had to stand and sing Amazing Grace. Now, I did ask him to do that uh, and so forth because that's what I'm preaching on today. I'm preaching on it's Amazing Grace. It's amazing grace. In 1736, an 11-year-old boy went to sea with his father. His father was the captain of a ship, a merchant ship. They were from England, and this young boy by the name of John Newton was going to be his father's cabin boy. For the next six years, he served with his father until his father retired, and at the age of 17... He was boarded onto a ship headed for Jamaica where his father had secured him a job working on one of the plantations there um, in Jamaica. While he was in the midst of that journey, the Royal Navy, His Majesty's service, commandeered that ship and, and uh, John Newton was conscripted into the Royal Navy, meaning he did not enlist, he did not get a choice, they just said, you, our ship, you belong to us now. He was raised with some measure of privilege and he really resented the fact that he was being forced in, into his majesty's navy against his will. And so he approached the whole thing with a very wrong attitude. Uh, he, he showed his defiance at every uh, opportunity that he could. And finally, he tried to abandon ship and escape when he was near a harbor and get away. But he was, he was caught. He was publicly flogged as a result of that. And uh, that just made his attitude grow worse and worse and worse. Finally, the, uh, the, co the commander of that ship had had enough with this young man, this 17-year-old kid. And he actually set him aboard another ship called the Pegasus, which sadly was a slaver. It was a slave ship that was still predominantly practiced, not only in the Americas, but in Great Britain itself. And John Newton became became a part of the notorious and the awful slave trade. 1745, when John Newton was somewhere around the age of 20, he was so defiant even on the slave ship that the captain there sold him as a slave to a queen in West Africa. And he, he, was, he was a slave, the man who sold slaves, found himself being that. And his life was just on this downward spiral. Every time he turned around, it was getting worse and worse. And no matter how hard he tried to fight against it, he wasn't escaping any of it. And so he found himself in slavery, and he, he actually despaired of life. He tried to take his own life a couple of times. Things were so difficult. But back in England, his father learned of the fact that he had been sold into slavery and sent out a team to try to find and rescue his son. After three years of slavery in 1748, his freedom was secured. 
He got aboard the English ship, the Greyhound, and began that trip back home again. But on March 10th, 1748, at the age of 23, that ship was still many miles from the coast of Ireland where it was supposed to make port, and he hoped to meet his father and his mother there in that place. There was a storm that arose, sort of like the one of the Apostle Paul describes in Acts chapter 27. The ship, the Greyhound, actually began to take on water, and it was apparent that ship was sinking. John Newton, now in his early to mid-20s, is just seeing, I can't escape no matter where I go. Life gets worse and worse. And he went down below decks, and he, he pulled out his duffel bag, and he remembered when he was 11 years old, his mother had given him a little Bible, a little Bible. And she said, John, take this Bible everywhere you go. This Bible has the answers. He had no idea where to turn in that Bible. He had not looked at it in all of those years. Somehow it had survived his time on his father's ship, uh, on the ship to Jamaica, uh, in the Navy, uh, on the slave ship, and even throughout slavery, that little Bible, now tattered and, and dirty and worn, was still there. And he didn't know where to go, but he remembered dropping to his knees in the darkness uh, below decks. The ship is pitching every way. Water is, is coming in from every crack uh, in, in, nook, uh, uh, in, that, in that great ship. In his mind, he thinks within, within a few hours, I will be at the bottom of the sea. I will be gone. And John Newton, for the first time in his life, cried out for God. God to be merciful for him. And he made a promise. God, if you are merciful to me, I will find out who you are and I will give my life to you. Within an hour, the storm began to subside. The rocking of the ship became less violent and everyone on board seemed to breathe that sigh of relief that they'd weathered the storm. They got the pumps working to get the water out from below decks. They were trying to uh, caulk the seams as best as they could. And it would still take them four weeks to reach the port in Ireland. But on the way between that terrible night and his prayer and the time he reached port, something changed in the heart of John Newton. And through reading his Bible, he understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and turned his heart over to the Lord. Amen. He was reunited with his parents, but he, he did not grow right away. For the next six years, he involved himself in the slave trade. It was legal in England. It wasn't considered an abomination by the majority of people. Those who were in the know saw it for what it was. And so acting out of ignorance, he saw it as a profitable trade. He actually became the captain of not one but three slave ships. Later, he said his true conversion, where he really was conformed to the image of Christ, didn't happen on the, the night that he got saved. It, it happened later when he understood and surrendered everything. He said, but I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until, until a considerable time afterwards. He left the slave trade. He suffered a stroke when he was 32 years of age, and it forced him to leave the sea. It forced him to just study his Bible. He became an evangelical Christian in England. He got a degree in theology. 
and went on to become the pastor of a church. In 1772, John Newton wrote the words to the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We sing but four verses of that. That's all that appears in our songbook. There are actually 13 verses to Amazing Grace. I think somehow along the way we may have been robbed of some marvelous things uh, that he shared in there. Amazingly, the song Amazing Grace is the most popular and well-known and identified song in the entire world. You can name any song by any so-called popular group or composer, Amazing Grace tops them all. It is believed that that song is sung or performed 10 million times every single year. Everybody knows that song. Not everybody knows the story. In 1788, 38 or 34 years after Newton retired from the slave trade, he broke his silence on his past. And he wrote a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade in which he described the horrific conditions of slave ships during their passage. He apologized. He wrote for a confession which comes too late. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which, my, which now my heart shudders. That pamphlet sold so well that a man in Parliament by the name of William Wilberforce teamed up with John Newton, and in 1807, the two of them saw the Slave Trade Act passed through Parliament, and England officially left the slave trade. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Adam had no idea what I was going to sing this morning, but you understand. Oh, he's gone. The rapture came, took the wrong people. I, I, surprise. Surprise. The pastor's the last one to know. And there he is sitting back there. You're everywhere. Adam sang a song, and I, I, I've never heard it before, but the words are very, very touching. There, there's no life too far gone for God to redeem and to Amen. reclaim. There's nothing you've done that is going to drive a wedge so deep between, between you and God Almighty that he cannot bridge that gap. Amen. That's what grace is all about. In the book of Ephesians where we read uh, with Brother Carson this morning, there are six very short chapters in this book. The word grace appears 12 different times. It will be found in every chapter, I believe, of the book of Ephesians. Grace has been defined in many different ways. You can take the letters that form the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, and this is what I was taught as a new Christian, that grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, we get to enjoy all the blessings of God, but we don't pay for that. Jesus did it for us. Um, I like the definition that grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Someone has said that if mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Do you, you understand what the Bible says? The wages of sin is death. I deserve to die and spend an eternity separated from God because of my sin. That's what I deserve. Mercy is God not doing that to me. 
Grace, on the other hand, is God giving us what we do not deserve. I don't deserve to see heaven, be in heaven. I don't deserve to be a child of God. I don't deserve to call him my father, which art in heaven. I don't deserve for him to hear and answer my prayers. I don't deserve any of that. Grace is what God extends to me saying, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. It's amazing, this thing called grace. Grace is undeserved. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Some big words, some, some long sentences, but we'll try to make our sense of it. He says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking about us on a spiritual level. We're walking around, we're breathing, we're alive uh, physically, but spiritually we're dead. We're dead. Our sins and our trespasses, we're spiritually dead. The Bible is, Paul's writing these people saying, you used to be like that, and now God's quickened you. The word quickened means he made you alive. He gave you new life through Jesus Christ. Verse 2, wherein in time past, before you got saved, ye walked according to the course of this world. Our world is getting weirder by the moment. Our world is getting stranger and more difficult and more dangerous. Paul wrote to Timothy, in the last days, perilous times shall come. But do you realize that a lot of the people that are out there doing these bizarre things don't even understand how wrong it is? In many ways, they're just following the course. This is what everybody else is doing. This is what they've been taught to do, and they're just marching in step. Do you realize before we got saved, Paul said, that was us. We, we listened to the same jokes everybody else listened to. We said the same words everybody else said. We acted and behaved and responded exactly like everybody else. That's what he means. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil, the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes uh, and all of that. Uh, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, we're going to stop there for a moment, big words. That word conversation means lifestyle. Notice he said, among whom also we, what's the next word, church? Oh, nobody's exempt from this. You weren't born righteous. You weren't. Um, if I had my phone here, I could, I could tap the screen and it would come up with a, a picture of my newest grandson, Wesley. He's almost three months old now. And uh, he, he is now my wallpaper on my phone, smiling ear to ear. Um, I think he's the cutest little guy in the world. I've got 11 like him uh, and all of that. But you know of, of uh, everything beautiful and wonderful about that child, Robin Anna will never have to teach Wesley how to say no. Never. He's, he's got brothers and sisters that'll teach him that very well. And even if he didn't have them, the day's going to come when they're going to say, Wesley, don't do that. And he's going to look at them and say, no. Or they're going to say, Wesley, come here. No. How many of you ever had to teach your children to disobey you? Anybody here like that? It, it doesn't happen because we are by nature, we just do wrong. We, we don't like rules. We don't like commandments. And it, it is our nature. Uh, we, we learn to lie on our own. We learn to take things that don't belong to us on our own. We learn to be mean to people on our own. I, and I realize sometimes we learn things from the environment around us, but the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And Paul is just reminding the, the, the readers of Ephesians chapter 2, saying, that was all of us. 
There was a day and age, it just, that evil came out of us and wrong came out of us. And uh, uh, the Bible says, in time past, in the lust of our flesh, if we wanted it, we took it. If it felt good, we did it. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Allow me to illustrate for a moment. Brother Rob, can I borrow you? Just stand over there. You're going to be God again. Okay. He was out last week, so I think Adam or Carson, somebody substituted. That's God. God is a holy God. The Bible says that, that he is light. In him is no darkness at all. Darkness and light are con contrasted in the Bible uh, as, as showing the difference between evil and good. God is light. God is a holy God. In fact, around the throne of God, we get some glimpses in the Bible that there are angelic beings that, that fly around the throne of God and day and night they sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. That is the God that this Bible is all about. That is the God that this Bible's talking to us about, teaching us about. That is Almighty God, a sinless God. But here's the problem we're not sinless. None of us. None of us. You may not have gone to jail for anything, you may not have done some what we consider big, big sins, but every one of us is told a lie. And if you say, I've never lied, welcome to the club. You just did. <laughs> Every one of us has lost our temper. Every one of us has said something we shouldn't say, taken something that didn't belong to us. And it started when we were little, very, very young, and just starting to understand right, right from wrong, disobeying parents, disobeying teachers, and on and on it goes. And uh, we are not holy, holy, holy. We are sinful. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that, that presents a huge problem. God loves us. God wants us to be with him. Is this on? Okay, I, I guess I'm just going to have to stand here then. I'm not sure why. God loves us. God wants us to be with him, but he can't let us close because he's holy. He's holy. We have a problem. That's what Paul's saying. That's what we were. We were by nature the children of wrath. I can go to church, but I'm still a sinner. I can give money, but I'm still a sinner. I can turn over a new leaf and let's say it were possible for me to never sin from this time forward to the day that I die. It doesn't change the fact I'm, I, I'm already a sinner. And my sins, the Bible said, have separated from me and God. We have a terrible, terrible problem. Because of our sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I deserve separation from God in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. What a bleak outlook for eternity. What a hopeless uh, state to find ourselves in. But the Bible says in verse number four, but God. Amen. But God. The first, two verses, uh, first three verses say this is what you were. There you are. There's this holy God and there we are. Everything in verses 1 through 3, that's us. But God. Salvation is not about what we did, but God. But God who is rich in mercy. Remember, mercy is not getting what we deserve. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Paul's later going to write to us that we can't even begin to search out the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God. 
we can, we're going to, by the way, spend eternity trying to figure out what it is. But I'm still stuck in this one point. I have no idea why God loves me. I have no idea why God loves me. I know how flawed I am. I know how many times I failed him. I, I know what I am, but he loves me anyhow. Amen. And I'm, I'm to the point in life, I just, I, I'm never going to get over that. I preached in chapel at Vision Baptist College in, in Berlin, New Jersey this last uh, Tuesday uh, afternoon. And, and right before I preached, this trio of young ladies got up and they, they sang this song uh, uh, about the love of God. And one of the verses were, he knew how many times I would fail him, but he loved me anyhow. But God. Amen. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. So here I am separated from God by my sin. But here's this holy God who should be offended in me. Here's this holy God who should say, you broke my law. And, and you've done it over and over and over again. You deserve to be separated from me forever. That holy God longed for me to be able to come to him. He wanted that more than anything. He wanted that so much. That God so loved the world and this guy in it that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, should, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's what I deserve. But have everlasting life. But God. Salvation is not me. Salvation is not my church. It is not my money. Certainly not my good looks. Salvation is but God. But God. I've often thought of this, Brother Rob, that when Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin, at that moment, God loved me more than he loved his own son. Think about that. He let his son die so that I could live, not just for a day or not just for 60 or 80 years, but forever. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brother Rob, thank you. You may be seated. But God, I want you to walk with me for just a couple minutes as we talk about this subject. God's grace is amazing. It is amazing grace. We are justified by God's grace. Keeping your place here, can I get you to go back to Romans chapter 3? Romans chapter 3. There will be a few big words today, but I think we're intelligent enough to understand them and remember them. Grace is not something we buy. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we become good enough to deserve. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 24. The Bible says, being justified, I'm going to explain that that uh, word in just a moment, being justified, what's the next word, church? Freely by his grace. That's God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in whom? Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, Jesus said, but by me. Grace, it's fully undeserved, but it's freely given. Say, so what does justified mean? It says we are justified freely from his grace or by his grace. The word justified means to render 
innocent. We have another word that we use in our legal system today. We call, we call it expunging the record. Sometimes when a young person has messed up and, and so forth, um, they, they get a record in, on their juvenile record, but occasionally some judge somewhere will take mercy on them so that that doesn't follow them around. They will expunge the record. All mention of whatever they did, whether it was stealing a car, uh, robbing a gas, and whatever it happened to be, all record of that is absolutely gone, and you can look it up. And today through, like, the Internet, you can look up anything on anybody, but you won't find it. It's expunged from the record. That's what the word justified means. Is anybody here that's done, ever done anything that you really hope nobody in this room ever finds out about? Anybody? If your hand's not up, you're lying again. You know it is. You say, how many sins does it take to separate us from God? The first one. Adam and Eve had one commandment. Think about it, one commandment. When I went to Bible college, there were 75 rules in the rule book. Four years later, when I started my senior year, there were 475 rules. You say, why? Because I went to school with a bunch of idiots, so they had to keep making up new rules to cover all the dumb things they tried. Um, understand this, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had but one, not 75, not 470, they had one. Don't eat of the, free, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they, they couldn't obey that when they ate of it of, a, of their own free will. And that one sin separated them from God. But God, who's rich in mercy, even on that day said, I'm going to send a savior for you. One day the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. First gospel, the first promise of salvation in the Bible was given to Adam and Eve on the day they committed the first sin. I don't need to commit a thousand or two thousand. I know people that keep score of other people's wrongdoings. God doesn't need to do that. I'm a sinner, period. Doesn't matter if it's one, ten, a thousand, or a million. I'm a sinner, and that sin needs to be cleansed. That's what justified means. The grace of God through the death uh, of Jesus Christ on the uh, cross and the blood he shed is the full payment for my sin, all of them, none of them excluded, the same with you. Amen. The same with you. If there was one sin that God said, you know, I can get rid of all of them except that one, we'd still be lost. All of them, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. We are justified by his grace. I grew up in a religion that taught me if I'm good enough, maybe I'll be able to get to heaven. I needed to go to church. I needed to have somebody sprinkle some water uh, over my head. I, I needed to make sure that I kept the Ten Commandments, which nobody has ever kept except the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was told all these things, and I know they were sincere, but they weren't teaching me the Bible. No matter how good I tried to be, the bad seemed to have a way of finding its way out. And every time I got caught doing something wrong, that, that awful awareness of my sinfulness was there. And, and uh, I, I've told you before, the, the preacher said, when I go to heaven, God will have a scale. And my good stuff here, my bad works here, whatever size heaviest, 
determines heaven or hell. And I just kept seeing those scales going up and down all the time. No assurance in that. And I was a kid who worried about dying because I wasn't sure what came next. But there I was, trying my hardest and always failing, always coming short. But the Bible said that is the truth. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Salvation is not because we are good enough. Look what the Bible says back in Ephesians again. It says in verse 8, for by grace, there it is, are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody will go to heaven and knock at heaven's gate if that were possible and say, hey, let me in, I was a pastor. Hey, you have to let me in because I taught Sunday school for 32 years. Hey, let me in, I was the biggest giver in the church or I ran a bus route. Or let me in because I wasn't like all the other people around me. That'll, that conversation will never happen in heaven. Everyone that's in heaven is there by the grace of God. Amen. Because God in his great love sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and through grace offers salvation. Said here it is. It's freely given. It is the gift of God. Anybody here like gifts? In a few weeks, I'm going to turn 66. November 21st, if you're wondering, if you take notes in the margin of your Bible, write that date down. <laughs> I like gifts. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, and so does everybody here. We like a gift. The wonderful thing about a gift is we don't have to pay for it. If on my birthday, Rob and Anna come to me, and uh, there's a, a card and maybe a gift card, I'm at the age where we don't get toys and stuff. We get gift cards. Um, they come to me and it's got a gift card in there and they hand it to me and look at it and it's uh, knowing them it's probably like $2.50 to Cumberland Farms or something like that. And uh, you know I look at them and say boy thank you I really appreciate that. And then Rob's standing there with his hand out what, what do you need? Uh, that'll be $2.50 please. And the card costs $4.50. You now owe me uh, let's see that's $7 and let's see the ink let's add another dollar just for that. Is that a gift? No, that is a purchase. And by the way, that is a preposterous uh, situation. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brother Rob, can I use you again? So here I am lost in my sinful condition, verses one through three. Here I am separated from a holy God, but that God loves me. He is so rich in mercy that he sends his son to the cross to die, shed his blood and pay for my sin and be raised again the th uh, three days later and he holds out eternal life saying, you don't deserve it, Tom. Why don't you hold out your arms? Thank you. He's holding out eternal life, said, you don't deserve it. You'll never earn it. You'll never be good enough for it, but I want you to have it. It's free. But like with any gift, the only thing now that is waiting is Will I receive it? Do you realize that John Newton carried the word of God around with him all those years when he was serving with his dad, when he was serving with the Royal Navy, when he was serving on a slave ship, when he was a slave, when he was on his way back 
to meet his family once again. He's, he had that Bible. God was always there, but he was busy with his own life. He was trying to make it work himself. And, and, and he was trying to get by on his own wits. And, and it was all about making money. And God had to bring him to the end of everything before he realized, I need your mercy. And that man that was a part of one of the most evil occupations mankind has ever known said, God, be merciful to me. God didn't turn him away. God didn't say, not you. I know what you've been. God said, I've been waiting. And when he trusted Christ as his savior, he received that gift. God didn't hand him the bill. God just said, it's paid for. Thank you, Brother Rob. We're justified by his grace. There's a lot more that the Bible has to say here. I told you I'm, I'm preaching from the overflow today. We'll get to it, but not this morning. I realize that I'm preaching to the church today. I'm not in a prison like Brother Buddy's been in for the last few days. He wasn't in trouble. Uh, part of the Rock of Ages prison ministry in South Carolina. Did you say nine different prisons in, in several days? Um, I realize I'm not, I'm not preaching to that kind of a crowd. I'm preaching to the church crowd. I'm preaching to the crowd that came in carrying a Bible this morning. There's two things we need to remember. Being the church crowd isn't going to get you to heaven. As Jesus closed out the longest sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, many will there be in that day that will say unto you, Lord, I have prophesied in thy name. I was a preacher or I have done many wonderful works in thy name and the Savior is going to look at them and said depart from me I never knew you because you see somehow they got the mistaken idea I will earn heaven I will be good enough for heaven I was raised this way and I I'll make it on my own and God said you can't you can't you can't you can't it's grace it's grace. And if you're here today, I don't, I don't care if you're the most long-standing member of this church. I don't care if you've been raised in a Christian home. That's not going to get you to heaven. Only the grace of God can do that, and you've got to receive that gift. I can look back to August of 1972 when I heard the gospel, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I knew from that moment I was justified freely by His grace, and I remember getting up. I had not joined a church. I didn't get baptized that day. I did what the Bible said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and I called upon Him, and I am saved by His grace. If you don't have such a moment in your life, you must have one. Jesus said, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. That's what the word saved means. That's what the word justified means. The, the, the slate wiped clean. If you've never had that moment this morning, you need to tap into that grace of God to receive the gift. If you've been saved, you need to get your shout back. You need to get your joy back. You need to get your eyes off of all the garbage going on in this world and say in the midst of all of that, come on back. God, who is rich in mercy, reached out to me. He, brought, he didn't just send his son to die on the cross. He sent somebody to tell me about it. 
He sent people to knock on my door and invite me to a church that would explain the gospel so I'd get saved. His mercy and his grace, they endure forever. We're going to delve in probably next Sunday about the riches of God's grace, the unending riches of that and all that's wrapped up in it. But I'm here today to say, but God who is rich in mercy reached out to me and he saved me and I'm going to go to heaven and I never want to get over that. There is no headline in the world that can take that away from me. Stop being so wrapped up in politics and get wrapped up in the grace of God. Get wrapped up in Jesus. Get wrapped up in your salvation and get your shout back. That's what we're here to display is I'm saved by the grace of God. We'll see next Sunday. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And that's all by the grace of God. If you're here today and you've never received the gift of grace, why not? When I got saved, it was the answer to years of searching. And I honestly thought everybody would want to hear about it. And a few weeks after salvation, I went to public school and I carried a Bible with me, bright red Bible. I learned about gospel tracts, started carrying those. 2,500 students in my school. I thought all of them are going to want to hear about this. I was absolutely stunned that none of them did. I was really astounded. I still am. I don't understand. Why would you turn away the gift of God, which is eternal life, when it's so freely offered to you? If you've never received it, why don't you make today the day that you get your salvation settled? Not by joining Heritage Baptist Church or any others, not by becoming a Baptist, but by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, period. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you are saved, when's the last time you told somebody else about it? When's the last time? When's the last time it started overflowing in you and just in your communion with God, you became overwhelmed with the fact, I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in a book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Get overwhelmed by that. Paul never lost sight of it. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote these words. He said, it is by the grace of God that I am what I am. The grace of God, I am what I am. Don't get over the grace of God. Tell somebody about it. I mentioned this in the Sunday school hour yesterday afternoon after soul winning. Went down the road here to get a haircut. All the barbers, are usually 15 to 18 of them in there, speak Spanish. Some of them speak no English at all. So oftentimes I can go in and say, hola, adios, and there's no, no conversation in between. Um, the, the, the main guy that runs it, uh, he'll, he'll ask me exactly what kind of haircut I want. He'll translate for the guy, and that's kind of it. Well, yesterday wasn't the way. The, one, the only guy that didn't have a client was a young man named Jason, and he wasn't Spanish at all. He's Cambodian. He's Cambodian. He was raised Buddhist. He had asked me, he said, uh, what, what are your plans for the rest of the weekend? I said, well, uh, later today I'll go over to the gym for a little while and then just sort of rest up a bit. Tomorrow is Sunday and I, I'm a pastor of a church, so you know I'll, I'll be there uh, all day long. He goes, really? What church? And I got to tell him he knows exactly where we are. And just like that, everybody's around us. I don't know how many can understand us. He said, I was raised Buddhist. I was raised Buddhist. My family is from Cambodia. 
He said, and, and uh, to be honest with you, being raised in it, he said, it's not that I had something against my parents or any of that. He said, there are some good things about living a good life and all, but I really didn't care much about it. He said, but I had a friend, my best friend, and he pointed two chairs down, this big guy cutting somebody else's hair. He said, I had a friend that kept talking to me about Christianity and talked to me about being saved and talking to me about the Bible, inviting me to church, and I never really cared what he said either. I never went. I never really listened. I didn't take it that seriously. He said, but one year ago, I was in a serious car accident, and I almost died. And all of a sudden, I realized if I had have died, what would happen to me? He said, I looked back on my Buddhist roots and I realized it offers no hope of what comes next. Death is assured, but there's no certainty, no hope beyond that. So I thought, let me find out what my friend was talking about. And he started going to church with his friend. It happened to be a church that preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And two months ago, he got saved. And here we're, we're sitting there in the barbershop. My barber is sharing his testimony of faith, and he is overflowing with the fact that God took a Buddhist and saved him. And he said, I, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still like a baby at all this, and I've got so much to understand, but I'm so excited about it, and I'm sitting there thinking, I need to grab some of that excitement because every now and then mine cools off. If you're saved and you've, you've been justified freely by his grace, go tell somebody else about it because they need it too with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. I know I've been a little...